0: Twisted has been supporting asynchronous and event-driven applications way before AsyncIO came on the scene. Twisted and Glyph have also been encouraging automated tests for a very long time. For testing asynchronous or event-driven systems, Twisted uses a technique that should be usable by other applications, even those using AsyncIO or other event-driven architectures. This episode is sponsored by Rollbar. Rollbar. Rollbar is the leading platform that enables developers to proactively discover and resolve issues in their code, allowing them to work on continuous code improvement throughout the software development lifecycle. Rollbar has plans for all situations, from free to large enterprise. With Rollbar, developers deploy better software faster and can quickly recover from critical errors as they happen. Learn more at rollbar.com. Thanks, Rollbar. Welcome to Test and Code. Welcome to Test and Code. I'm super excited to have Glyph on the episode. Uh, Glyph, welcome to the show. How long have you been doing Python?
1: Uh, I've been doing Python for probably about 22 years.
0: Wow. I should have dug it up, but I read a bio of you of like, um, that it talked about both you and Twisted kind of together in the same context. Has Twisted always been part of your Python experience? Or?
1: I had about a year of professional Python before Twisted started in earnest. Uh, it was an outgrowth of a project called Twisted Reality, which was originally in Java. Um, I won't yeah. rehash that uh, story here. It's kind of long. Um, but you can certainly find some podcasts where I've talked about it before.
0: Okay. And uh, public speaking, has that always been part of uh, your professional life or just something you enjoy doing?
1: Uh, I started pretty early um, and I guess it's been part of my, my professional persona for, uh, for many years now. But uh, yeah, it was really just a personal interest thing. I I could sometimes convince my employer like, Oh, it'd be good to have a slide at the beginning of the deck that says where I work. But like, it was never really, it was never certainly never my boss saying, Hey, it would be good to give a talk.
0: (laughs) Okay, so what I wanted to have you on the show for was to talk about Twisted. And since Twisted has a lot of asynchronous in it, um, testing of asynchronous code, which both of these things seem confusing to me. And I have to admit, I don't really, I know Twisted is a thing, but I don't really know what it is. So can you uh, introduce us to Twisted a little bit?
1: Sure. Um I mean the, the tagline for Twisted is that it is an event-driven networking engine. Um I actually kind of prefer event driven to asynchronous, because asynchronous sounds very jargony. Um I know that with the async keyword, it's kind of embedded itself in the language pretty hard, but um but if you think about it as event driven, it's just it's a way to write programs that respond to things happening, as opposed to necessarily like just doing things sequentially. Um so uh Twisted is uh, a 21-year-old engine uh, that has uh, of support for a variety of protocols. It's got IRC, SMTP, IMAP. Um, obviously, it's a web server. It's got HTTP and HTTP2. It's got third-party support for a bunch of different protocols, um, including things like WebSockets, which you need for modern web apps. Uh, it's the original flavor of async Python. Like There were async things before it. There was Medusa, which it was largely based on, so it wasn't coming into a total vacuum but um, uh, it, it, uh, it also includes compatibility with and support for async IO in the standard library. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's a little bit difficult to give it a, a, a like comprehensive overview of it. It's kind of a way <laughs> of programming in Python. Um, it's like a dialect almost.
0: Okay. Well, um, I guess I'll jump in and ask a, some pointed questions around it. Is it, Something, what would I use it with? It sounds like it's web-centric. So would I use it with like another web front-end like Flask or Django, or does it have that sort of stuff built into it already that I don't need Flask or Django if I'm using Twisted?
1: Twisted is a little bit more low-level than something like Flask or Django. Um, th- it does have uh, a couple of um, projects within within the Twisted org on GitHub. You can find uh trek which is our sort of requests alike that uses twisted and klein which is our flask alike um, which uses twisted they're both kind of a little bit different than the libraries that they're patterned on but um if you were going to use klein and trek and twisted together that would be a lot like writing a flask slash requests type web application um it's actually a little bit less web centric than most other things in this category like uh, it's not just for writing web apps. As I said, it supports like um, SMTP and IMAP. So you can use it to write an email server. You can use it to write a DNS server. Um, it's it in most practical projects. Um, because the ecosystem around klein and track is like much less mature and certainly much smaller than around something like django most people who use twisted end up using it as a kind of sidecar that's doing something event driven in the back end of okay. a site that's using django or flask or something um for example asgi like the, the reference implementation of django's like Event-based WebSocket support as uh, a server called Daphne, which uses Twisted. So, it, quite often, if you're using it, you don't actually know that it's in the okay. mix. Um, it's also a part of Scrapy. So, uh, if you're doing oh, really? scraping, you might find it there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So it's it's a definitely a networked networking thing, but it's not it's um not not necessarily the the immediate front end stuff that you're looking at. It it's handling a lot of other work.
1: Yeah, it can be. It's also a WSGI container, um, and like I, I think it, being a pure Python WSGI container does give it some advantages. But again, it doesn't have the community size behind something like G-Unicorn um, uh, or UWSGI. I would say like I've certainly deployed lots of production stuff on Twisted as the network facing thing, and I generally recommend it. And kind of when when people are saying, oh, we have you know, nginx talking to UWSGI talking to the uh, hmm. You know, ALBs and like they have this huge stack of stuff that's in the path of every HTTP request. I I, I often begin the conversation when I'm talking to folks who do that, saying like, well, why, why not just put Twisted at the front? And like, if you want to use Django, like Django goes into WSGI containers, so you can do that. And uh, it's it's often oddly enough for for Twisted has this reputation for being somewhat complex because. A lot of people aren't super familiar with adventure and programming. It actually is a thing you can use to simplify your architecture quite a bit because you can get your whole site or your whole app onto Python and just Python and yeah. then kind of uh, have most of the functionality that you would get from some of these, uh, bigger, more complex, like, um, C, C uh, low level servers.
0: Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> so the was reading about twisted had, um, uh, had a quote and I think it, I think it was from you that uh twisted uh, doesn't have anything or one of your design uh ideas is to not put any new ideas into it um, yeah
1: twisted is very much not innovative um as uh, as we mentioned before we started the show uh, my dad has uh is a programmer he's retired now but he was uh has been doing this since the 70s and so i was exposed to a lot of ideas uh when i was growing up and uh I believe uh, I might be mixing this up a little bit, but many of the ideas in twisted about how to like structure programs are directly lifted from some stuff he was doing in C on Stratus mini computers in the eighties. Like there's, it's a, so they're, they're not super new ideas.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I like, I love the idea that you said um, instead of using async, it's more, that's a buzzword or asynchronous. Event driven is, uh, it's that's been, we've been doing that for years, a really long time. I mean, when I think about it like that, I mean, most of my programming is event driven programming. Um, uh, most of you, you know, user interface stuff, data like, uh, on my end with, uh, embedded systems, it's usually, uh, database, database change events that trigger actions to happen and, and things like that. But, um, uh, yeah, or, and you
1: could definitely hook up Twisted yeah. to something like Postgres's listen notify. Like it doesn't have to be pulling stuff off of a socket.
0: Um, oh wow! Okay.
1: So uh, yeah, um, and
0: I could probably even uh, like have buttons attached to it and have have buttons like drive it and stuff like that.
1: Funny you should mention that. The thing that I was going to say next was given that we brought up public speaking, uh, the talk that I got interrupted with the flashing sign that I didn't know what it meant uh, uh, that said five on it. uh, I actually did know about the like five minutes left thing that they do at PyCon, but my like session runner got the timings wrong and like interrupted me way too early. So unfortunately this talk is a little bit rushed at the end, but I have a talk called uh, so easy. You can even do it in JavaScript. (laughs) <laughs> um, and it is uh, event-driven programming for regular programmers. And it, the um the gist of that talk, like I actually used PyJS to make the point, but one of the core abstractions in Twisted is a deferred, which is nowadays like uh, in async I/O. There's this thing called a future that's actually in standard Python; it's just part of the standard library. Uh, and deferred was a a, pr- a precursor and a parallel to that. Um, and I show what deferreds are, like why they exist and what you need them for by this process in that talk of building up a dialogue box with a yes and no button in it Mm -hmm. and showing like really it's, you know, the way that you think about a deferred or like nowadays this would be like a, a, a future that you would await on. You think of it as like I'm coding, I'm coding, I've got this process, I'm going down linearly and then I need to like stop and wait for something and then I keep going. But really, when you get to that point where you stop, you're just waiting for some event to occur. And you want to know what the results of the event that you were expecting to happen was. And so in the case of like popping up a a visual thing, like a dialog box to the user, other things can be going on behind that. Um, Hmm. And that dialog box just has event handlers for yes and no. And those are the things that like, unblock your program and allow it to proceed. But that does not, you don't need to structure it that way, right? Like the reason I don't love asynchronous as a word is because asynchronous is that style of code where it's sequential and you stop and then something happens elsewhere. Whereas event driven is like anything could happen. Lots of different, like you could get a function called from some event occurring somewhere else. Like your code may not have been started yet, there may not be an ongoing coroutine or process and unblocking a coroutine and starting a new coroutine are both instances of an event happened what do you do next
0: i have to go watch this then uh, so okay <laughs> never mind that everybody listen just stop and go no oh. <laughs> um uh, but there's uh okay so let, let's uh, let's just jump ahead uh one of the the difficulties with event driven or asynchronous code is figuring out if it works because sequential code is easier or it's still hard to test but it's easier is is there some tricks and things you've learned when testing uh, event-driven code
1: well there's, there's a whole story behind that um so first of all testing has been part of twisted for a very long time nowadays you know we we all uh make uh you know, in the culture of programming, we all make public shows of saying, Oh, I wish I tested my code more. I wish that I had better, you know, like better coverage. Of course we all, you know, it's it's sort of a universally recognized virtue to have tests. Twisted started mandating testing as part of its like development process in 2005. And it was not a popular thing back then. (laughs) Like definitely not everybody thought you should write unit tests for everything. So, uh, so we have roots that go back quite a long ways. Um, and, uh, in, in testing, and the the process of doing that has really been an evolution from kind of the what you just described, like, oh, testing async code is hard, like you need special tools. it's it's difficult. Um, and that's what where we started was we we have our own test runner. It's called trial. Um, and the way that we originally wrote it to support asynchronous testing was spin up the whole event loop. Get all the sockets and all the infrastructure for like actually talking to the network ready. Then like hook up a loopback connection, so you have both the server socket and the client socket, and then you send real network traffic over localhost, and you kind of see what happens. And it uh, and this is you can still do this today. It's, it's useful for certain times of integration, integration testing, but what what you're doing there is you are. That's full system integration testing. And this is what happens if you return a deferred from a trial test case. So if you if you write, it looks like a regular unit test, but you can stick in a wait in the middle. Um, and uh, well, there's some other stuff you have to do too. But like you can basically write a coroutine or a deferred returning function, and it'll run the reactor for you in the background and like actually wait for that event to finish. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that style of testing is actually not really appropriate for most event-driven things. Okay. Um, so the the reason being, that involves your whole system. It's a full-blown integration test, including the whole operating system. Um, and you. it's very slow, because you have to wait for like real network traffic. You have to context switch out of your process, wait for the OS to do something. There may be other things happening in the background, which we'll slow that down. Um, It's very error prone. Like if you don't, if, if your test fails to fire the event at the time that you expect, if you didn't send the request that you wanted, the only failure mode you get is like, oops, you're hung test is producing (laughs) no output. Like it's not very useful. So while that feature is hard to build yourself and like absolutely required for some like high, very high level kinds of testing, the thing that we eventually converged on was like, was don't test anything that way at first. The way that you test stuff asynchronously is write. Well, it depends which way you're going. If you're writing a a, a coroutine or a thing that returns a deferred some process, which is like, this is a request handler that does something asynchronous and then comes back. You implement that by calling it. And then using a couple of functions we've got actually implemented within Twisted, uh, assert no result, success result of, and failure result of. And those three methods on Twisted's own test case don't require a reactor. They don't require an event loop. You can write them completely with no networking involved at all, just a deferred object and your logic. And so you'll, you'll typically make a mock backend that returns like the lowest level deferred, the HTTP request or the you know, open socket or whatever the thing is at the bottom of your tower yeah. of abstractions. And then you control what's happening by firing that mock or like putting some data into a fake network connection, just like pushing some bytes into the data received method of your lowest level protocol. And then saying, at this point in the network stream, I expect this deferred that I got back from my application to have not fired yet. So do some stuff. We shouldn't be, like, nothing should have happened. Assert no result. Okay, trigger an error condition. Failure result of, and that'll fail if the deferred has succeeded. So you have to get an error, and then you get the error out. Uh, It's sort of like assert raises. So you say what types of exceptions you expect. Um, And then success result of, which is like, okay, I'm going to put, like, the... I'm going to send a request. I'm going to assert the transport received the bytes for that request. Then I'm going to push the bytes for the response in, and then there should be a success result. And then you could say like, okay, this is um, I've got a success result. And this is actually one of the reasons why, despite the fact that uh, you know the standard library has event driven stuff in it now, you can use async I/O. This is one of the things that makes Twisted kind of still relevant. Is this type of all in memory, no actual IO testing is like really well supported by Twisted. And there's some features of deferreds that still make them a little bit nicer than futures to work with in this way. Um, You can do all of this with futures, but futures expect to be attached to an event loop, whereas deferreds live totally on their own. So you can just have application code, which has no idea if there's even an event loop running right you can just say like this is async in some abstract sense i yeah. expect this deferred to be fired when it fires like i'm going to have the test assert about it
0: hmm. okay so like, so I, if i'm if i'm using uh I got, there's a couple questions in there um if i'm using async io then i need to i need to actually shut, set up an event loop to test it then
1: Yeah. And you can, you can fake it. You know, the event loop is pretty abstract. You can go and implement all whatever 17 methods or something, and you can write your own fake in memory one. And maybe some exist. (laughs) Yeah. I like, I'm sure that some projects exist to at least do this partially. I personally haven't actually seen any, I I don't code with async IO in anger a lot. So like it it could easily have escaped me. I don't want to say that that community has not uh, got anything at all but it is definitely something which i would be very surprised if it was as well supported as it is in twisted um largely because we made all the mistakes already like we had a huge super flaky test suite for years which we gra- i mean some some parts of twisted's own test suite still do a lot of real network io where they don't need to just because uh it's a very it's a venerable code base with a lot of history but um you know we've been gradually migrating to this strategy of doing everything in this really high level way okay um, for many years.
0: Yeah. I think it was, um, uh, it was an article on the, what was it? The Twitter engineering blog that I read a long time ago, talking about feature tests where, um, there were, it was a, mo- it, it just remind, reminded me of that is that you've got, uh, event driven code. Um, but you want to test it in a, their, their idea of a feature test is a test that tests a high level, like most of the system, but does it in a context of a single thread um, so that, uh, so that it's more predictable stuff like that. But
1: yeah, um, the idea with twisted is you, you not only test in a single thread, you test with a fake network transport. Um, And there's actually some great stuff that's been built up at a little bit of a higher level for that. Like um, if you were going to test a web application, for example, let's say you were writing full, full twisted stack, everything's in twisted. You've got a, Trek network client and a client like Flask style server. Uh, you don't have to go all the way to writing your own HTTP requests in bytes. You can use Trek dot testing to to make requests of your client backend. But there's no actual sockets. There's no actual backend. You just hand it an instance to your client application and you say, "Do all of the HTTP stuff." And it still tests the whole system. It still tests request parsing and cookie handling and everything as if there's a real network request because it's building it all up in memory and like all the actual bytes and invoking the whole twisted protocol parser, but there's no socket. So although you burn a little bit of resources doing all of that, nominally unnecessary uh, integration code you don't end up context switching you don't end up using real sockets you don't have to worry about binding an unused port for each test or anything like that and so you get a lot of the benefits of a big system integration test with a lot of the benefits of a nice tightly scoped unit test because it's still all in memory it's still got no side effects everything gets garbage collected at the end of the test it doesn't leak state across um and so uh, it's kind of a nice sweet spot to use some of those tools to just test your whole application. Uh, at my uh, yeah, previous nice. job, um, we we had our whole application tested that way, and it was really easy to drop in a new route and start, you know, dropping a couple of tests that would exercise the whole thing.
0: That's pretty cool. Um, one of the things you said uh, when a few minutes ago was, we were talking. You were talking about um, uh, being able to separate deferred. Uh, you don't need a an event loop to test a deferred. Um, and you said that's one of the reasons why Twisted is still relevant. So I hopefully this isn't a rude question, but is Twisted still relevant? Are be, people are because of all the things that have come come up in the rest of the Python community to support uh, event driven code, is is Twisted still a good choice for some applications to if they're starting today?
1: Yeah, I think that it definitely is. Um it is certainly less relevant like if you if your goal is to write async or event driven python, twisted is less relevant than it was 5 years ago because there's a huge ecosystem now that uses just the standard library. Um and uh, in some sometimes people because they're familiar with kind of old examples or they find some old search results on google they think oh twisted's like the python 2 way of doing it you know it's 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 the past but that's definitely not true twisted is is definitely still relevant in the sense that like if you need to do stuff with dns irc email right like any of these protocols that twisted has support for it's just a good implementation of those things and if you if you're writing an async io project that uses an async io web framework and doesn't care about twisted at all and suddenly you need to handle a dns request you can just drop Twisted in there, use the async IO reactor, and call back and forth from your Twisted and Async IO code, and they integrate perfectly well. So you can just use Twisted for the suite of protocol support that it provides. Okay. Similarly,
0: how, how about future proofing? Is it is the twisted maintenance gonna go on for at least five years in the future? Do we know?
1: We well, I mean, there's always the question of like, are we gonna have enough volunteer effort? That's a perpetual problem with open yes. source sustainability. I I can't promise anything. Uh but there's that.
0: no plans on like, you know, uh twilight or whatever they call it, uh fading it out or something. Uh, no, no, not at all. I
1: mean, there's there's lots of code running in production with it. And also, like um, again, that impression that it's outdated is largely just because we have 20 years of of search results that may come up that, that show you something that is outdated, but the
0: curse uh, of old blog posts um, right, being exactly. popular but, 10 years ago. Uh.
1: Uh, but we have uh, kept pace with like modern Python. Like it has support for type hints. Deferred is a generic that tells you what its result type is. If you're using mypy, Uh it has support for async def coroutines. Uh, there's probably a half a dozen other things that I've forgotten that we've got support for. Um, but yeah, Twisted is definitely a modern Python project. Uh, it's got a lot of legacy and history, but it is coding with Twisted is not like writing Python two code. It is like writing very modern, up to the minute Python three point ten uh, code. If you if your project supports that,
0: okay. Well, I I have a confession to make. When I started um, uh, at my current role in twenty ten, the test framework that I was used to. Uh, it was a Python-based thing, but it was proprietary. So I had to learn the, the new company's proprietary test runner. Um, but I wasn't happy with it. So I came up with uh, one of my own things, but then I started looking out at the Python community to say, you know what, why are why are we doing these bespoke things? Let, let's look at the rest of the community. And of course, noticed um, right away, noticed unit test, uh, nose, PyTest. test. Those are some of the things that I saw at the time that people were using. Uh, and I wrote a blog post to say, uh, okay, I'm looking at testing frameworks, looking at these three. Are there any I forgot that I really should take a look at? And one of the things that came back right away was, well, Twisted Trial, of course. I didn't do a lot of research on it because I just looked at the whole, the Twisted ecosystem and the Twisted Trial, and I thought, I'm not using Twisted, so uh, I think Twisted Trial is tied with it. Did I get the right impression? Is is it is twisted trial something I can use on its own or is it really go hand in hand with twisted?
1: I mean, it's a part of twisted and it is pretty deeply integrated. Um, and like I have mixed feelings here. This is, uh, there's a lot that I like about trial, but it's also one of the parts of twisted that does show its age. Um, I am a little bit of a contrarian in that I don't love pie test. Um, Every major project I've, I've had to interact with that used PyTest, I, I ended up looking at a function and being like, okay, this takes six parameters and nothing ever passes any of them. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> like um and, and you know, I, I'm aware of the sort of fixture configuration vaguely. I, I know that there's ways that those get populated, but like I find that a very distasteful way of writing tests, because I find like I it, it's very confusing to me. Um to tri- and even even PyTest experts, I will sometimes ask, like, where does this come from? And they're like, oh, uh let me get back to you on that, you know. Um so trials but, but trials definitely uh errs in the other direction in the sense that it's just unit test. Like everything is just unit test with these little sprinklings of like extra async support. Um, The one thing that I will say, so there's two things, I guess. First is the, uh, and this is the thing that I think most of your listeners should probably take away from this conversation is those methods that I mentioned before, uh, a certain result, success result of failure result of, and the kind of companion to the, on the networking side, which is I believe called the IO pump. Which are, these are all things that allow you to test your code as just a, you you make an object and you call methods on it, but you do it in such a way that it like, you can tell that it's plugged into the rest of the IO system without being slow and flaky and unreliable. And those techniques can easily be ported over to any other system, even ones that are not necessarily event-driven. And I would encourage people to go like, kind of look at that philosophy and see those, like those very small pieces of trial. As a system, if you were just like starting a new Python project today and you were like, I'm going to use Trial for some reason, why would I do that? Like, What's the, what's the ideal project for using Trial on? Yeah. And the thing that Trial lets you do better than pretty much any other test suite that I've seen is it lets you have sidecars that are things that your tests might need to communicate with externally. So for example, I have worked on multiple projects where you need a database. And of course, one way you can do that is you use SQLite. But for a lot of production sites, uh, if you're using Postgres, you need a Postgres to test things for real. Yeah. And how do you get that? Like, well, you you could start one up, you know, you could have like a service that's like running in the cloud, which lets you get a new database when you need one for testing. Um, You could run like in homebrew or something, Uh, but trial lets you like spawn a process in the background and kind of keep it in the real reactor and then have tests, which do do that like full on real IO back and forth, which allow you to communicate with a a database or a caching daemon or something else that um, you can even write synchronous tests that do this. Like the, the process is running in the background and all trial is doing is kind of consuming its logs and managing it. Um, It's not trivial to do this, but it does because it's, running with a real reactor in every process where tests are running. um, Because you can, uh, you, you're doing this with um, uh, your rather trial itself supports parallel testing and can start up multiple processes for you. Uh, It it lets you do this type of coordination in a way, which is a little more production quality, I guess, is how I would describe it. Whereas things like even PyTest Twisted, like, tends to really want to clean everything up for you. And trial will also try to clean stuff up for you, but you can use the appropriate reactor APIs to say like, okay, here's my continuously running background service that I'm using for all of my tests. And after each test, I will like remove it from the reactor, check that everything else is clean, and then put it back. Um, and so that's not quite as like trivially straightforward as using those test methods that interact with deferreds that I mentioned. Uh, you definitely do need to know a little bit about Twisted, but you, I have worked on projects that use trial in that way that test the, uh, the code with trial and that use trial and twisted facilities for managing aspects of the test process that don't actually even use twisted internally at all. Okay. Um, And it can't like, it's a qualified recommendation. This is mostly for people who like, if you know twisted already, this is a thing you can use it for. Yeah. If it's probably not worth it to like, uh, fully spin up on, uh, twisted and trial, which is a little bit of a learning curve just so that you can test something that needs like one background process. Yeah. But nevertheless, like there's a lot of other reasons to learn twisted. And once you have like, that's a cool thing you can do. So, um, hopefully trials can be getting some attention in the coming year. It's support for coverage is very outdated and most people just use like the, you know, um, uh, coverage, start sub or, some of the other PyPI packages for dealing with parallelism. And hopefully we're going to make that more native. Uh, So maybe trial will be one of the pieces of Twisted that sees more maintenance than most in the upcoming year.
0: Okay. But there's a PyTest Twisted, so I can just... I don't know. I was...
1: Yeah, uh, if if you like PyTest, PyTest Twisted is very well maintained. I'm a weirdo in the Twisted community for not liking PyTest. I think <laughs> probably most proj, most applications that use Twisted do get tested with PyTest Twisted, and that uses components of Trial internally. Like it is, uh, okay, it, it is a different philosophical approach to testing, but it's not like there's no communication between the communities. There's quite a lot of uh, of back and forth.
0: So there's um um, twist is not your whole life. Um, i oh very much no <laughs> so uh what other sort of uh projects are you excited about um that you're working on more actively or
1: um i have to be a little bit mysterious about what i'm working on right now i'm kind of on a sabbatical um, okay. i'm i'm uh on a break right now i, I am doing a lot of writing um, i'm trying to write more about uh code uh, on my blog um unfortunately in the world in which we live there's there's a there's a number of hot takes on there as well. So okay. uh, it's not all Python, but uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm really interested though, just speaking broadly in getting Python into more places that uh, how best to put this, that empower people uh, that, and, and then empower kids. Like okay, there was this uh, vision at the, when I started in Python, low these many years ago um the big project that guido was always talking about was uh, cp4e the computer programming for everyone project um and that kind of fell by the wayside largely because it was actually like a funded research effort that he no longer works on um but i find that as a that is a very interesting thing to try to uh push forward. And I find that the community in general is not always pushing it. Like we are often concerned with production quality enterprise code that, you know, runs on the back end and does like big serious data science or um, infrastructure with Python. And that stuff is all great. I mean, that's my career uh, largely yeah. speaking. But uh and so like I I wouldn't want to say that I would diminish that at all, but there is there is a surprising dearth of popularity of like programming your own computer with python um like most people don't realize you know a lot of us use macs mac os is very very popular in the developer community um most people don't realize the number of things that you can automate with python on a mac and so i'm doing some stuff trying to uh I have a lot of scripting projects, which I've been using for years, kind of just for personal automations that I'm trying to clean up to publish. Um, Pi Game, I think, is also very interesting. I'm trying to get, uh, I'm working on a game, uh, among other things right now, kind of in the background, and hopefully that'll see the light of day at some point. But I also feel like that's somewhat neglected as well. Like there's a lot of um, work that's going on in the, pi game community to help teach kids just how to make a very basic game and this is what i'm talking about with empowering kids not just teaching them to code but teaching them to say like oh you made a game like let's get that on steam like why can't you publish that and sell it and get it to your friends on windows and linux and mac and like so i'm I'm also doing some work uh partially in facilitating my own Game development, but also like tr- with an eye towards. I'm not just going to make an artifact that I ship. I really want to work on some of the build build system stuff that makes it easy for people to go from. I took a Pygame tutorial course. I learned just enough to like get something working. But how do I go from there to production, and not in a way which like here's you know your 27 step Py Pi, uh, Pycon tutorial that lasts four and a half hours that's like for enterprise software developers but like w- what if i was like 11 and i yeah, wanted to do this <laughs> exactly <right>? like, <laughs> well
0: i mean talk about like i mean we w- w- that's a good example because we think about event-driven systems as these complex enterprisey things but games we want to teach kids how to play games and they're totally event-driven um so interesting
1: yeah and and i think i feel like the, the another thing that i'm interested in right now is browser python where like and there's some very exciting developments in that space. Uh, Pyodide, the the thing that like lets you have a Python, a fully functional C Python Jupyter kernel running yeah. inside your browser in the back backend. Um, Brython, um, it, which actually has a clone, like a, a an implementation of Pygame's API. It's very incomplete, but like okay. lets you hypothetically run a Pygame game in the browser. So one of the things that I've probably looked at the most, um, and I I have yet to manage to transform this into a project, but I I would really like to figure out how to get one of the browser Python things to work with like an easy to articulate tool chain that lets you get from, I wrote a Python program to I deploy it in a browser. Because right now that stuff, like there's tons of really cool technology, but like, if you want to get a Python backend app into a Docker container, it's like write a requirements.txt. Here's a standard Docker file. It's like three lines long. It'll get you 95% of the way there. And there's tutorials that'll help you with whatever else you need and the Docker run and you're good to go. The question of like, okay, I have a Python program. And I want to put it in a web browser. There's, do I need Webpack? How do I get the packages installed? How do I host this? There's a whole universe of questions which are yeah. possible to answer, but there's nothing that really brings them together. There's nothing remotely like poetry for you know a front end Python thing.
0: I think those are great things to talk about. And so for people that want to keep track of what you're talking about, um, your blog again is is where.
1: Uh, glyph.twistedmatrix.com. Okay,
0: I'm looking um, at the right one then.
1: It's, you can also uh, follow me on, on Twitter. I'm glyph. Uh, um, hopefully there'll be more on the blog than on the, the Twitter feed uh, at some point. Um, <laughs> it's a constant psychic struggle to, to make that happen. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, and I've done a little bit of blogging about like um, some techniques that I'm experimenting with in Pygame. game. Um, I have the, the, build process question is a big one and there's probably going to be a bit of time before I have anything public to share in that area, but it's definitely something that is, mm. is going to require uh, work from more than just me. Like I'm going to need to, we're going to need to have a community wide effort to, to make that work.
0: So any, I'm going to get tomatoes thrown at me for asking this, but uh, any inklings in the pie game community to maybe upgrade the logo. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that is well outside of my control. But <laughs> Okay. I, I would, I would definitely endorse any effort to do so.
0: Okay. Um, so anyway, I'll leave that aside. Uh, well, I really enjoyed talking with you today, uh, glyph and thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, just thanks.
1: Thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, and, uh, yeah, I really hope that, uh, I think that, Twisted's cool. You should definitely check it out if it's something that sounds like it might be useful to you. But I, I really do feel like that some of those techniques with the way that Twisted does uh, testing of modeling a system as just like an object that you just call your methods on and that all lives in memory but is relatively complete is really a testing strategy that I think applies across the board. Um, that uh, that I'd love to see more people investigate.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure other so other asynchronous methods outside of Twisted uh, could 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 do something like that too. And if not now, hopefully somebody will listen to this and think, let's make that happen. So, yeah,
1: yeah. it definitely would apply. It would map pretty cleanly onto async IO, and I think there may even have been some efforts in that direction. Really, the thing in async IO is you you would just need a, a full in memory event loop to yeah. hook up to your features in order to make it happen.
0: Yeah. Yep. Cool. Okay. Well, we'll link. We we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. I'll try to make sure I put links in the show notes and everything. So we'll talk to you later.
1: All right. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Glyph. It was a very interesting conversation. Thank you, Robar, for sponsoring. Robar enables developers to proactively discover and resolve issues in their code so they can work on continuous code improvement throughout the software lifecycle. Learn more at rollbar.com. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Join them at testincode.com support. All of those links and lots of links from Glyph are in the show notes at testingcode.com. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.